Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. All right, folks. So we have a pretty exciting episode put together. This is a bit of an impromptu episode. This was not part of the uh, original plan of attack and agenda that I've been trying to put together lately, but it was kind of spurred by a uh, an email that I got from a podcast listener, and uh, it was a situation they ran into, and I thought, you know, it's it's one thing to put together information and put it out there and then just everything's all you know butterflies unicorns and happy and great but the reality is that you know sometimes bad things are going to happen in your colonies and you got to find a way to resolve them and address those issues and you know there are a lot of things that can potentially happen now the good news is just like anything else in life that you do the more you do it, the more you know frequently that you are out there doing inspections and checking out the bees and interacting with them, the more second nature everything will become and the easier it'll be. So with that, uh, I'm going to just kind of jump in here and talk about a couple of important things. So one of them that I think is, is really important, I know I've mentioned it before, but to kind of reiterate, when you're doing your inspections, it's, it's really important to have some kind of a methodology in place for documenting the inspections, keeping track of everything, and then making some kind of a note to yourself about the interventions that you need to perform on a specific hive or group of hives based on those inspections. So as an example, uh, I've seen guys online, I think if, I mean, everybody by this point probably has heard of the fat bee guy. I think he's down in Georgia. He's a character, the guy's countries a dozen eggs. But he puts out a lot of great content and, you know, he knows a lot about bees and he's a pretty unique character. But I think one of the things he does is if there is a uh, an issue with the colony or whatever reason, he'll take a brick, uh, one of the bricks he uses to put on, on top of the top outer cover, and he'll just stand the brick up. And I've seen David Barnyard Bees, uh, barnyardbees.com, good guy. If you've seen any of his videos, he does the same kind of thing, right? He's going to stick the, the brick up, and that's a reminder to him, like, okay, I need to go back to that hive, to that colony, and, and do some kind of an intervention. Now, for video purposes, if you just throw a brick vertically and say, hey, this reminds me to come back, that's cool, right? If you've got four, five, ten colonies you're dealing with, it's a nice little reminder. When you get back to it, you open it up, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to do you know X, Y, and Z in this colony, no big deal. When you're managing a, a much larger group of colonies, especially when you're in a situation where you have multiple people who are working with you, it starts to become a little bit more important to keep track of notes and to keep track of exactly what's going on in each of these colonies. Because I can tell you right now, I can go out and I can inspect, you know, 15 or 20 colonies in, in an hour. And by the time I'm done with that group, I can barely remember what happened in the first two and I've, I've tried to fool myself before and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll remember that. That's no problem. No, I can I just can't do it. So 
don't try and remember everything. Just make a few notes. I use a lot of abbreviations for things. I rate things. So, for example, I keep track of the weather. So when I, when I start out, I say, okay, today it was 75 degrees and sunny, or maybe it was, you know, 65 and overcast, or whatever the weather conditions are, I make a note about that. Because the more data and the more information that you have at your disposal, the more effective you're going to be at understanding the behavior of the bees under varying conditions. So if you realize that every time you do an inspection of the colonies when it's below 65 degrees and, and cloudy, then you might start thinking, hey, maybe the bees think it's going to rain, so maybe they're not happy with me doing an inspection. I'll wait till it's 75 and sunny, where the bees seem to be a little bit calmer and more cooperative with my inspections and, and my interventions. So I'll make notes on temperament. You know, for example, if the bees are, are calm and the, it's a good population, you know, I'll make some kind of notes with regard to you know, the quantity of bees I'm seeing, the temperament of the bees. I use one called EOQ. Eyes on queen. Did I actually see the queen or not? So I'll put EOQ and a plus sign. Or I'll, you know, I'll do a minus EOQ. Didn't see her, but I'll also do C, uh, CB, uh, Charlie Bravo, for capped brood. So plus CB, plus E. So when I put all those things together, plus E means eggs, plus L means larva, plus CB uh, means capped brood. So these are just a couple of quick things that I do if I'm by myself and I just want to make sure I capture something about that colony. So just think about that as you go along. Figure out a system that works for you. And uh, again, it's particularly easy when you just have one or two colonies. But at some point in time, you're going to be dealing with the dilemma that we discussed on one of the previous episodes here recently. When it's time to split and you, you're either going to have an additional colony for yourself or you're going to be giving one to somebody. But you're going to grow one way or another whether you like it or not. Now, one thing I've found that is pretty effective for labeling the individual colonies, and this is something that you should be able to pick up from, I think, I mean, I'm not an Amazon person. I had a falling out with them last year, long story. But whether it's, you know, Amazon or eBay or Walmart.com or whatever, I think any of those can, can get these for you. But if you're in an agricultural area, probably like a um, local farmer's co-op or maybe even tractor supply, places like that, you're looking for livestock tags, and they're basically going to have, uh, for example, the ones I use, I think I bought a pack of, I think it was it was either like 400 or 1,000. I can't remember how many of each that I had, but they, there was like a blue, green, yellow, and red, I think, and they came in a pack of like 1 to 100 or 1 to 1,000. So every colony that I established in a certain year, like the first year I think I did blue, so I had B0001 was the name of that colony. And then the next one was B002. And then the next spring they were yellow. So it was Y0001. And I had these little galvanized hooks that you can buy from Home Depot or, you know, Lowe's or Menards or whatever you have near you. I just took mine and just, you know, screwed it into the outside of the hive body, hung the tag on it, and it's good to go. I mean, whatever you want to do, if you want to take a galvanized nail and just tap it in three or four times just to kind of keep it in place. Uh, I have had some where I've just put, put it underneath the edge of the brick on top of the outer cover. Whatever works for you, just, again, figure out some kind of system so that when you are trying to identify a colony, you can take your notes and associate those notes with a, uh, a physical hive that's on the ground. There is also an application. Uh, I'm actually going to start beta testing this application, but it's called Hive Keepers. I'm looking at the email right now. 
So yeah, they have Hive Keepers version 2.0 of the software. I used, I guess, the 1.0 version. This was actually a pretty cool software when a while back. There were some things that needed to be worked on that they hadn't quite figured out. And I just, I moved on to a different, more kind of manual approach. But what was really, what was neat about the software is that it had an area where you could take a physical picture of the colony. So you would label it on the, in the software and it had a mobile app. So you could take the software at the desktop or laptop level, put all the information in, and then you launch the, you know, the mobile app when you're out in your apiary. You can just pull it up, take a picture of the colony. And now you know, and you can even do it to the frame level. Right, and you can actually put in, okay, there's two hive bodies, there's 10 frames in each one. You can go through and label each frame if you wanted to. Like if you wanted to say hive body, you know, number one has a queen cell on frames two and three, for example. And it allows you to, to track it to that level of detail. So that's pretty cool, kind of neat. Is it necessary for the small hobbyist beekeeper? You know, maybe not. But again, it's a system that can be used and, you know, something worth keeping in mind. So all that being said, I figured this would be a good opportunity to go ahead and discuss some of the more uh, detailed things of these inspections. And we'll just, uh, I'm not going to cover every one of them that I did, but just a couple of them here just to give some ideas of the, the things that I'm, I'm seeing. And I'm also going to, at the end here, share a, a listener's situation that they're dealing with right now. I just got an email from them yesterday. We've been talking about it back and forth. I'm hoping that the information that I provided to him is useful, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about that situation too. So... Okay, first uh, first colony we'll discuss here. It's uh, it's a colony. It's about three weeks old. I found a swarm cell in one of my larger colonies, and I took that and a frame of brood, and there was another frame that had some pollen and nectar, and there were a couple of frames of foundation. So I took all four of them with you know this capped um, swarm cell, and you know put that all into a single colony. Left it alone for two weeks. So I, I've come back now to to check it out. Um, the queen has been born. I found the queen cell where it was opened at the bottom, and um, you know, she left. She's been mated. She has returned. I found plenty of eggs in varying stages of development, so eggs, larvae, capped brood. So everything is looking great, looking healthy. I think that they're occupying about, you know, probably about 50% of the space right now. They're going to need to expand, you know, maybe here in the next week or so. But they're looking good. Very excited about that. Second colony, kind of in the same same situation, right? So they were a split that came from another larger colony. It had multiple swarm cells. And that there honestly is not much of a difference between the two colonies. What I would say is the first one had a better population. I think they were a little bit further along. I got my eyes on the queen. I visually you know, could see her. She looked very healthy, looks good. In the second colony, I did not see the queen. I was doing a fairly quick inspection, and I just kind of breezed through. I, I, I was trying to do a lot in a short period of time. Uh, we had some weather inbound. I was just trying to be as quick as I could. But I did find, again, eggs, larvae, capped brood. Everything is looking good with that. So uh, no major issues. You know, I'm going to reinspect again probably this coming weekend and, again, start making some plans for expansion on, uh, on that nuke as well. The third colony was also from a another colony that had some, some swarm cells because of the population and the way that they had been confined. I found the swarm cell in this one as well. I verified that the queen should have emerged. She, you know, she came out of the bottom of the queen cell. But I could not see any evidence in the hive that she was present. So again, you know, I'm looking for any evidence of queen activity, eggs, larvae, brood, 
physically seeing the queen. I mean, it does. If I don't see eggs larva and all the other things I want to see, but I see her, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm, I'm fine if you know if she just got back from her mating flight and just hasn't had a chance to lay eggs. No big deal. But what I saw across all four of the frames that were in there was a lot of honey, nectar, pollen. They're storing everything away. There's plenty of space. There are cells that they've opened up that I think that are cells where when I installed a couple of frames into that nuke, they had some capped brood, and I think they've polished up and cleaned those cells out in preparation for a queen to lay in them, but the queen's not there. So, I mean, I guess there's a shot in the dark that maybe she took a little longer to go on her mating flight, and maybe she hasn't made it back. But if I had to take a guess, I would say most likely... Bird, spider, dragonfly, something I think got to her. So we'll talk about that some more in a minute. Well, I'll tell you, let's go ahead and, and talk about it right now. We're in a situation where this colony is potentially queenless, and we are in the first week of May. I'm going to go out, I'm going to look at them probably tomorrow and try to get a better idea of where they are and just confirm 100% that I didn't miss anything. So let's say I go out tomorrow on the 5th and I look in the colony. And there's definitely not a queen. No queen. There's no queen activity, no eggs, no nothing at all. We're, we're in a bit of a situation. Now, I have other colonies. I can look in them and see if I find a swarm cell, which would be amazing. But I'm pretty sure, based on all the activities that I've undertaken here in the past few weeks, I don't think I'm going to find one. It's possible. I just don't think I'm going to. So let's just assume that I don't. From here, I've got a couple of options. Now, if I knew a local breeder or I knew someone else who had a queen available, it would be very easy to just go buy a queen, introduce her to the colony, and then let her do her thing. Particularly, a mated queen would be great if I could get one from a local um, supplier. The next best thing would be to find a queen cell and to put the queen cell into the colony, let the queen be born, let her do her mating flight, come back and start laying. And then the, the last alternative, or I guess I would say the the last and the worst, really, is if I had to drop a frame of eggs and young larvae in and the bees had to make an emergency queen cell. So let's just talk about that scenario because right now I don't have my queen-rearing colony set up, which is basically just a single deep that is just packed full of nurse bees. And you drop in a bunch of frames of brood that have a bunch of nurse bees on them, no queen, you, you jam-pack them in there. You graft young larvae. You put that larva into these cells that are designed specifically for uh, queen rearing and, and having uh, workers make queen cells, drop those into that queenless hive, and they will make a ton of queen cells. I don't have that set up right now. So because I don't, we're probably looking at going with that emergency queen cell route. So let's say that on tomorrow the 5th, on Cinco de Mayo, I drop in a frame with some young larvae. It's going to take about, you know, the typical cycle is 16 days to make a queen. But if you have a, a larva that's already, say, two days old, you're looking at two weeks. So let's just say around the 20th of May, my new queen is born. Now, the good news is they'll probably go ahead and make three or four, you know, queen cells. So I can probably use the other ones for other colonies, too. But it's going to be a full two weeks before I see that queen. So now we're at May 20th. Let's say the queen comes out, she emerges, she does all the things that she needs to do to get ready to go on her mating flight. She goes out, she does the mating flight, she makes it back successfully. And around a week later, roughly, you know, the 25th, 27th of May, somewhere in there, she starts laying eggs. 
Now, from egg to worker is 21 days. So remember I said that, you know, that she goes out around the 25th or 27th is when she's returning from her mating flight. So now we're talking about somewhere in the middle of June, like June 16, 17, 18, you know, somewhere in that area before the very first worker is born, right? So we are at May 5th, basically, right now almost. So May 5th, and then we're looking at like June 15th, right? 40, 45 days probably before that queen is born and ready to go. Well, that kind of coincides with some other bad stuff that's going on. That's right around the time that the real nectar flow is starting to end. So now I've got this brand newly, you know, newly mated queen who's ready to go and ready to get things done. And her colony that she has is very depleted anyway because there's been no new bees that have gone into that colony for three weeks as of right now. And then on top of that, you add in another 40 days. That's the entire life expectancy of the bees that are in that hive. So I have to make sure that I add at least one, maybe two frames of cat brood for her just to sustain that colony. So that's those are bees I'm taking from another colony just to get this one up and running. So that kind of leads into another option that we have, which is a scenario where I may say, geez, these guys are queenless. It might make more sense for me to split another hive and then use all of these nectar and pollen and honey frames that are in this existing nuke as uh, supplements for other colonies. I mean, I could probably make at least two, maybe three or four other colonies from all of the frames that they have in there. It would be small, you know, two-frame nukes. But if I take a, a frame of a brood, you know, capped brood, and a couple of, you know, eggs and young larvae in there with a frame of this honey and nectar and put, you know, I can make four two-frame splits off of all of those versus just trying to, you know, get this other hive stood up. So a couple of different options there and things that we can explore. But that's a challenge that I had with that particular colony. Now, we've got one more that I want to discuss. Before that, we're going to take a quick break to let some of our uh, our sponsors jump in real quick, but we'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, welcome back here. So I wanted to talk real quick about this last colony. This is this is my main colony. This is the one that actually swarmed twice this year. 
And you know, you're, you're thinking probably if you remember previous episodes, you're like, Jeff, what do you mean your colony swarmed twice? If you've been doing your inspections and doing your job, this wouldn't happen. So 100% my fault, right? I mean, I just, I took on a little bit too much the spring. I was gone. We had some actually really nice weather in, you know, March and April this year where the colony just ramped up so fast and they swarmed super early, didn't even expect it. That was my free, that was like my free pass because I was able to, uh, I was able to capture that swarm and get them moved into another colony. I still have that hive today. Everything's great. Well, I was down at the property. I was doing some work. I came back and the same colony had swarmed again. And I thought, geez, here I, you know, I, I had an opportunity to do an inspection and I just, I didn't do it. I just thought, oh, okay, well, I know what happened with them. I'll come back and I'll deal with it later. But unfortunately, they were so jam-packed with bees and they were so crowded that, that they just decided to do what they needed to do. Unfortunately, this time, they were about 30 feet up in a tree. I could not get to them. But I did go ahead and take a full-size deep uh, hive body on a bottom board with a couple frames of drawn comb. I sprayed some swarm lure in there, and uh, it was late. You know, if I would have done it on the first day, that they swarmed, I probably would have been okay. But this was like day three. They were still up in the tree, and I just, I waited too long. I wasn't here. I brought the equipment back, got it set up, and uh, I didn't catch them. So I lost that that colony. But I did go back in. I did an inspection on that colony. And it was very similar, actually, to the other one that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. There was no evidence of a queen. I did, you know, I did find plenty of nectar and honey and other things. But there was definitely not a queen present, but I did find a queen cell that had been, you know, opened from the bottom and there were no other, you know, viable queen cells anywhere. So I am pretty sure because she did just, this did, the swarm took place just last, I think it was like last Thursday or so, maybe. So we're only about five days since the swarm took place. Uh, So I believe that that queen is out on her mating flight. I saw a lot of activity at the colony today. I will inspect tomorrow and take a look, and hopefully she'll be back, and she'll be, you know, ready to uh, to get to work and keep that colony cranking along and, and doing their thing. So that's kind of, uh, that's just the information I wanted to share with everybody on some recent inspections I've done. Uh, you know, nothing too earth-shattering, but again, there's some, some things that have come up, some good, there's some bad. And uh, so now I just want to do a kind of a quick recap on the specific things I need to do. So I've got two colonies that I'm going to prep. This is, these are four frame nuke colonies. So I'm going to prep two four frame nukes that I can use to put on top of those two that are out there right now that are doing well. They just, they're just going to need some more space pretty soon. I need to reconfirm with that original swarmed colony, the one that swarmed twice that I completely dropped the ball on, which is definitely taking me out of the running for beekeeper of the year. Maybe I'll try again next year, but I need to go back, check that colony out, and just verify that that Virgin Queen has, in fact, returned, that she's been mated, and hopefully we can just see her active on some frames inside, and uh, hopefully we're good to go there. I need to go back to that other colony where I didn't see any evidence of a queen and just, again, confirm the same thing with them. And then probably in about... I'm guessing maybe two and a half, two and a half, three weeks or so, I'm going to go ahead and get that breeder colony set up. And I'm going to do some of these kind of mid-season splits. I would really, really like to have had had these done a little bit earlier. But that's okay. We're going to have, the you know, everybody, uh, all these colonies are going to be down in the 
country here pretty soon. They're going to have access to some pretty good nectar sources down there. We will supplemental feed, and we'll do whatever we got to do to get these few colonies here kind of ramped up and, and ready to start prepping for uh, for the fall and the winter and what's to come. So that's all that I've got as far as my specific recent inspections here. There were some other others that took place that were relatively unnotable, nothing particularly different or exciting, so I won't, I'll spare you the details on that one. The last thing I wanted to share with you is uh, a gentleman out of Tennessee who shot me an email, and I mentioned this at the beginning, but what he uh, his situation is he's got a couple of package bees that he recently installed, and uh, they're just, you know, I think if I remember correctly, I think they're eight frame deeps, and on the uh, on the top of those, he has a uh, top feeder. He's got two different types of top feeders. One of them has, it's basically, you know, the same dimensions as the deep hive body is, but it's probably about three or four inches high, and it's got these two troughs on each side, and they have uh, sugar syrup in them. And there's usually like a little float that goes in there, and they can kind of walk in and stand on the float and drink the sugar syrup. And then they go down, there's an opening in the middle, it's about maybe three quarters of an inch or an inch wide for the bees to kind of come up, you know, from the colony, from the hive, get up into the feeder, and come back down. That's a style of feeder that I used my first few seasons. I don't like them anymore, I've gotten rid of them. I had too many bees that drowned, like those ladders that they kind of, it's like a little piece of uh, like plastic queen excluder surrounded by a thin wood, and it floats on the sugar syrup. I've had so many, I would open them up and there would be, you know, a few hundred just dead bees in there. And it was kind of obnoxious. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. So I stopped using those. I, I did move over. If I'm using a top feeder, I use the the exact same one that this gentleman mentioned in his email, which is one that has, it has the same kind of trough style, you know, one on each side with an opening in the middle. But it uses like the, the number eight hardware cloth. It allows enough space for the bees to go up and walk around it and then down into the sugar syrup, but it doesn't allow them to get up into that cavity, into that space. So the situation he ran into was the bees came up into the one that had the floats in it, and, you know, they drank the sugar syrup. You know, he was in the colony. I think he said it was like about five days earlier. He was in there doing an inspection, checking things out, and it was like five days later. He started on a Wednesday. On Sunday, he went in there to open it up to add more sugar syrup if they needed it, and they had gone into that upper space where that feeder was and drawn a bunch of comb in there and just, just, it was a mess, right? So apparently, you know, he went in and was trying to do his inspection. Obviously that was pretty disruptive because there he's destroying all this comb that they've drawn. So they were pretty unhappy with him and I feel bad, right? Because I've been in that situation or at least one very similar where, you know, you go into the colony, you're trying to do an inspection and you're getting all excited about it. And then you make the bees angry, and then, you know, they want to harass you a little bit, and it's not easy, right? And what's bad about it, too, especially if it's one of your first couple of inspections, it can kind of be a little bit of a, a you know, kick to you here. You know, it's it's a bit of a, it's tough on the morale, right? It doesn't make you real excited about wanting to go back and do that next, next inspection. So I feel for him. I, I know where he's coming from. But in that situation, you know, we've talked about before about how bees like to move kind of vertically. They tend to have that vertical tendency and they were drawing comb up in the frames below and they just kind of went straight up. I think someone had suggested an idea to him, which I think was a very creative idea, but what they said was, look, take, take that feeder off the top and put it down on top of the bottom board, then put your hive body on top of that. And then as they're trying to move up, they won't have anywhere to go. 
So I see where they're going with that. It's, it's an interesting idea. My thought behind that is it may not be an issue right now, but I feel like with that sugar syrup being as close as it is down to that entrance, I feel like as they get into a dearth or a period where there's not as much nectar available, I feel like other other bees, other you know, predatory insects might start to, you know, try to get into that entrance and um, may cause some trouble. The other thing is, because I think he had mentioned the idea, he might go ahead and just leave it there and go ahead and add a new feeder that is like the the, the second one I described that has the hardware cloth on it uh, that kind of keeps the bees more contained and doesn't let them into that cavity. Uh, he said, yeah, I think I'll add that one, put some sugar, sugar syrup in that, and we'll just leave the one at the bottom, kind of leave it alone. And uh, I see, again, I, I can see the thought process and why that would make sense. The only concern I have with that is that once they get in there and they start really building everything up, and you, now you've got a full colony, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 bees, however many end up being in there, then you want to go in, into the bottom and start destroying things and taking things apart where there's most likely a lot of brood, and, and that's going to be it's going to be more disruptive later than it would be today. So my recommendation to him was to go ahead and just – Get that feeder out of the bottom now. You know, take off your, your outer cover, inner cover, pull off that deep hive body, pull off the uh, the feeder, put it out of the way, put everything back together. You know, it's a one-and-a-half, two-minute exercise, a couple puffs of smoke here and there, and you're good to go. But like I mentioned about this this desire of the bees to move up, that's exactly what they did. They moved straight up out of the area where they had the frames down in that lower deep, and they just went straight up. So, you know, the one suggestion that, that, that I made, and I think that – you know, there's a couple of different ways that you can address this, but I think the, you know the more obvious one is is to just go ahead and, like I've mentioned before, you can drop a frame of foundation just right there, smack in the middle of that whole section, and force them to kind of draw it up. But quite honestly, I think that once that different feeder is on, and they're not able to go up any further, I think the problem will pretty much correct itself. So that's probably the first step I would do. You switch the feeders out, like you mentioned in the email. And then uh, and see how they handle it from there. The other thing, too, is that we're probably at that time of year where as long as you're having good weather, right, if your queen is laying and, you know, you're, you're seeing the bees returning with a lot of pollen and uh, a lot of good activity, they're probably getting enough out of the environment right now. But, again, if they're my, – my general rule is if they are taking it up and if they are using it, then give it to them. Keep feeding them. That's, uh, that's kind of a lot of – and again, this is an area that's up for debate in the beekeeping world. Some people will tell you if you're, you know, if it's the right time of year, you don't need to feed them. I get it, but you can also say, well, if they're using it and they're drinking it, then they probably need it, right? I say feed them until they stop taking it because I've I've had a number of hives over the years. You're feeding them, they're taking it up, taking it up, taking it up, and then all of a sudden they just stop. As soon as they stop, I throw it away. Now there's you know different different areas to discuss around that. As we get later in the season, right, you don't want to have that sugar syrup in there in November, December, and all that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that when we get to that time of the year and start talking about winterization and other prep activities for that as appropriate. All right, folks. Well, I think that just about wraps it up here. You know, just like I said, I wanted to get a few few pieces of information out there about some inspections and some of the results and interventions and what we're trying to do. You know, if you run into a problem like our, our friend in Tennessee did, you need a second set of eyes or some thoughts on it, just shoot me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. We'll try and see if we can give you a hand and, you know, maybe even, you know, talk about it on the podcast here like we did with this situation. But busy couple of weeks ahead, I will try to do the best I can to continue with updates on things. 
But uh, in the meantime, I hope everyone stays happy, healthy, and well, and we will look forward to talking to you again very soon. Take care. Thank you.